0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, today we're starting a brand new series leading up into Easter uh, titled Lead Me to the Cross. And um, just looking at some of these significant things that have taken place coming into, coming into the time of Christ's death and resurrection. Um, there, are, there are these games that people play called word association games. And the idea is that you, you will hear a word and then your, your first thought that comes as an associated word to that word is what you say and then it goes to the next person, the next person and so on. So for instance, the first word might be stick and then the next person says hockey. And then the next person says Oilers. And then the next person says prayer. <laughs> Faith. Miracles. You kind of get the hang of how this all works, right? They're all kind of connected one after another. And, and the connections of ideas and feelings and memories and, and knowledge in somebody's brain influence the word association that occurs with them. So, for instance, you you might say the word, um, well, you might say the word cat, for instance. And, And the first thought that comes to a person's mind is, my companion, companion. Whereas another person would say claws, right? Like, it's just completely different. You say, well, why is they so different? Why are they saying these words so different? Well, the reason is, is because of their past, their experiences, you know, their, their connection comes from everything that they've seen going on around them concerning that, and then that comes out first. I wonder what words people might associate with the word Christian. And not just in the church world, for those who are already Christ followers and believers, but in the world around us, I wonder what word associations come to mind when they hear that word, Christian. What are their thoughts? You know, it might be words like church, Bible, hymns, sermon, worship, or it might be words like humanitarian, um, tradition words like Christmas, Easter, believer, lifestyle type words. But what's concerning today is that It might also be words like politics, intolerance, hypocrite, legalism, and judgmental. Certainly not the first thoughts that Jesus would have wanted coming to people's minds as they consider his death and resurrection. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a look at the significant events leading up to and including the death and resurrection of Christ. And we want to We wanna look at the roots of Christianity and understand what it's actually supposed to mean in our life so as we carry the title Christian, that we actually have the right association going on, even in our own way that we live and way that we think. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse one, reads this way. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At the same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna remember and we're gonna discuss what this lady did. The woman was actually demonstrating I believe the end goal of what the cross is meant to bring in our life, and that is worship. Worship. That because of Christ's death and resurrection, that's what we're supposed to be led to. She's a worshiper. This was an an act of worship when she poured this, this perfume and offered this amazing blessing on Christ. But who's this woman? Who is this woman? Well, though she's unnamed in scripture by cross reference of other texts with similar story, uh, it's believed that she is Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha, also sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus rose from the dead. She was, uh, you know, the one who, when, when Jesus came to Martha's house, Mary was the sister who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his words while her other sister Martha was busy making lunch and complaining that she wasn't gonna come and help. You you can read about it yourself. She was also the one who experienced Jesus raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is now in the home of Simon the leper. Uh, The Bible says, who was the leper? Well, that's because Jesus had healed him. And this woman walks in without being asked to do, to do so. And she just pours this costly perfume on Jesus. And it seems to be this sort of spontaneous response to the presence of Jesus, yet it was planned because this perfume and this bottle would not be something that she would have just carried around. I know women carry so many things in their purses, but this would not have been one of those things, okay? So this was like intentional. And there's one other time when costly perfume is put on Jesus. But that time was a different Mary and a different place, it was put on his feet. And when that happened, in an effort to explain what was happening, Jesus tells a parable that concludes with these words, he who is forgiven much loves much, and he who is forgiven little loves little. This person, also named Mary, poured perfume on his feet in an act of worship for what he had done for her, that he had saved her life, that he had restored her dignity, that he had forgiven her. She is worshiping at the feet of Jesus because she's acknowledging you are my savior. But the other Mary walks in and pours perfume on, on his head because of a different reason. She's worshiping him for who he is. The one who could raise her brother from the dead. You are the resurrection. You are God in the flesh. Jesus, you are Lord. And at the feet it represents the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our feet are be sh- to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The head represents leadership, direction, ultimate authority. Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus is to be the Lord of our lives. Your worship is meant to honor both Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. At the feet you worship because of what God has done, Well, at the head you worship because of who he is. The disciples speak up. You know, this could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor, they said. The irony of that statement is the fact that just a few verses earlier, Jesus is talking about meeting the needs of people around you and he says, as much as you've done it for one of these, you've done it to me. Jesus is actually saying that our service to those in need around us is seen in his eyes as an act towards him. But this wasn't... Here's the deal. This wasn't about service. This was about worship. This was about worship. This was about what is to be central in the Christian faith and in the Christian experience, and that is that you love the Lord your God above all else, that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you've got anything else left after that, do whatever you want with it, but, but you're to love God above all else. That's the first and foremost commandment. After all, I've seen plenty of people who used to be so active about serving other people, meeting people's needs, being busy about, uh, you know, active in service, and they're no longer even in worship. They're not in worship. See, they didn't understand something, and that is the foundation of your Christian life, the foundation of walking with Jesus isn't the service you give to others, it is the worship that you give to Him. It's where your heart goes first and your hands go second. Yeah. And when a church becomes all about humanitarian needs, and by the way, we are about humanitarian needs. We are about, human, we're sending a bunch of money over to help out with Ukraine and doing things like this. But when a church becomes all about humanitarian needs and it loses its worship, it's no longer a church, it's a club. Yeah. And this was about the condition of a person's heart reflected in an act of generosity towards Jesus. This was entirely about her relationship with the Lord that was reflected in gratitude and appreciation for who he is and what he does in our lives. It was all about worship. This is also the beginning of the story of the crucifixion. Jesus says she's anointing me in preparation for burial. But the story is special because it's like the story of the Passion of Jesus actually is starting with a demonstration of what the cross is meant to produce in people who receive Christ into their lives, and that is true worship. That you may have heard the phrase begin with the end in mind. Well, that's exactly what's happening in this story of Christ's crucifixion is a demonstration of worship to say, this is what's gonna happen in people's lives. It's a demonstration of what God's gonna do in the hearts of people and, and, and the lives of people who experience the Savior. The story of the cross is beginning with a demonstration of what the cross is meant to produce in your life. The ultimate impact of receiving Jesus into your life isn't just being forgiven, but being transformed into a worshiper. Yeah, that's good. The gospel doesn't end with your salvation. That's not the end goal of the gospel. If you think that way, then you'll come to church, you'll learn about Jesus, you'll pray the prayer of salvation, all good things by the way, you'll get water baptized, but then you'll think, I must be done. I prayed the prayer, I believe in Jesus, I did what i was supposed to do, I got water baptized, great, I've crossed the line, you know, that's it, I got it, ticket to heaven, sins are cleansed, it's all good. And you can't see past the baptism tank into the future that God has for you if you think that way. Your salvation is meant to result in your transformation. Yeah, that's good. The transformation is what makes you into a worshiper, and if you're a worshiper, you'll be a Christ follower. Consumer Christianity sees God as a source for life. I get his grace. I, I get forgiven. I, I get blessed. I get healed. I, I have a new happiness. I, I, I have provision. I get answered prayer. And it makes the relationship into one where God exists for me when it's actually the opposite that is true. You exist for him. You exist to glorify God. The ultimate end of everything that you receive from the Lord is that you would be awakened to who he is in your life, and then you would worship him not only for what he does, but for who he is. And if you get this wrong, you'll probably miss what God has for you in life. So how can you say that? Well, once he stops giving you everything you think that you need, that he needs to give to you, then you'll begin to see no reason to continue to pursue him and you'll stray in your heart, if not physically, and stop attending church as well. Once you stop seeing needs that you need met by him, his relevance gets reduced in your life. God created you though with a purpose he has a tremendous plan for your life. He wants to do amazing things in and through you to show himself strong on your behalf. He is your healer. He's your provider. He's the God who, who becomes what you need when you need it. However, what, having a mentality of coming to Christ with a, you know, what is he going to do for me can't continue to be the foundation of a relationship with Jesus. That might be the starting place that it often is. Often people come to Christ from a place of pain and out of their pain and and realizing that, you know what, I can't solve my pain with drugs. I can't solve my pain with alcohol. Uh, You know, I I can't solve my pain with just, you know, right relationships or whatever it may be. And trying to deal with that, they finally realize, I think I need God. Life just got too painful for me. And it opens their heart up, they receive Jesus and he's the answer to their pain. But eventually that has to develop to a place where you are not simply coming because of what Jesus gives you, but you're coming because of who he is. The foundation of your relationship with Christ cannot just stay as a consumer. Jesus is not a vending machine. He's not a shopping mall. What God does in your life may bless you, but the ultimate goal is that it produces worship from you because of who he is as well as what he does. Consumers are postured, always looking for what they might get from him, and worshipers are responding in gratitude for what they already got from him. Consumers are waiting to get it, asking, what's God going to do for me? Worshipers already got it. They're asking, what can I do for him? How can my life best demonstrate my love and appreciation for all he has done for me? Worship is that I got it response to God for who he is and what he does. Now, just to clarify to you, what we're saying, what we're not talking about is coming to God in faith, that he will answer your prayers. The Bible says you're to believe in who he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Totally get that. But what we are talking about is not seeing, is, is not seeing getting from God as the primary foundation and motivation for why you follow Jesus in the first place. What looks extravagant to others is actually just reasonable worship. What this woman did, looked extravagant to the other disciples. Like, whoa, man, there's a lot of of money in that perfume. We could have done something with it. Pours it out on Jesus. The response of spectators was to talk about the value, what it could have been used for, sold for, and the difference it might have made to somebody else's life. So we know it was a lot. And it might've been called extravagant, but worship is extravagant. That's the nature of it. Worship is extravagant. Think about it. Worship is about your attitude of heart towards something above everything else. That already makes it extravagant. Worship is what you treasure the most. It's what you value above everything else in life. It's, It's what, your life becomes all about. What you worship determines your decisions and your choices in life. It is a rudder to your life. Worship is what you will sacrifice extravagantly for. Worship speaks to an attitude of heart and that attitude of heart then becomes what determines the direction of your life and how you'll spend your time, how you'll use your talents and how you will spend your money and ultimately the whole direction of your life. In fact, when our worship isn't directed towards the one who's worthy of all worship, here's what happens is it goes to our default. We all have a default. That default is self. If I'm not worshiping God, I just worship me. I just put me first on everything that I do. All of my attention is on me. I just focus on my comfort, my goals, my dreams. I just want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it, you know, whenever I want to. It's all about me. My life is all about me, full stop. That's the creed of the worship of self. It's all about me. I did it my way. Christianity confronts that cultural norm. First of all, you are not the center of the universe. He is. He is. There is a God, you are not him. And by the way, if, it, if it's kind of challenging to you when I say, talk about, you know, it's, not about, it's, it's, it's all about you exist for him, he don't exist for you. Just, just remember this, that one day you will be gone and he will still remain. So it's obviously all about him. The world does not revolve around you. It revolves around the Creator who lets you take a ride on it for a season. And when you're gone, he remains. Your greatest legacy in life will not be about what you did for you, but it'll be about what you did for the glory of God that impacted others for eternity. That'll be your greatest legacy. How do you know that? Because the Bible talks about coming into the presence of God in eternity and hearing, well done, good and faithful Servant, Bible talks about the rewards of serving God. All of those things. Listen, worship exp- uh, appears extravagant to others, but it is reasonable to the worshipper. Yeah. It's just the way this thing works. Worship always—it it looks over oh, that's extravagant. That just looks over the top. That's just too much. But to the worshipper, it's like, no, no, this is just reasonable. Yeah. This is reasonable. For instance, having a daily time of reading God's word and prayer could seem extravagant, could seem a little extra. It's like, you mean you read the Bible every day? Yeah, I do. You pray like every day? Yeah, yeah, I do. Man, isn't that like crazy? Isn't like Sunday good enough? Well, I eat every day too. And the Bible says, Jesus said, don't just live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To the worshiper, this is just normal seeking of the Lord that we would spend time with God on a daily basis. Spending time serving in a ministry of the church on a regular basis might look extravagant, especially to somebody who has never volunteered for anything in their life. Yet when that act comes from the heart of a worshiper, They will go over and above in their time to make a difference into the lives of others and to do things in extravagance, in excellence rather, and think nothing of it. To the believer, it's just doing their part to make a difference in the lives of others. In fact, to a passionate believer, it's like you have to probably help them a little bit with getting some balance in their life more than than anything. Being in church from week to week might look extravagant to an outsider that act of worship of just attending church services from week to week, but, but I go to work every week, I, I shop for groceries every week, I take children to school every week, you take your kids to games and practices every every week, and, uh, and all the rest of it. going to church every week is is not extravagant it 's reasonable it 's reasonable well my, my kids my kids they don't always feel like going to church. When did your kids become the CEO of your home? Do you ask them if they feel like going to school? If you do, they ain't going. They just stay home and be dumb. And why would you let them have hours of entertaining activity and then be passive towards worship? Lead your family. Lead your family. Lead your children. If you don't lead your family to worship, they'll eventually forget why they ever worshiped in the first place. And the fruit of that will come around. But to a worshiper... It's just an acceptable offering of time. It's just part of being in the body of Christ. Listen, me by myself, I'm not the body of Christ. Me connected to other believers is a representation of the body of Christ. It's about community. Worship connects us to one another as all being worshipers. It's, It's calling myself a Christian and having no connection then to a local church. That's unreasonable. Giving Financially, in tithes and offerings, might look extravagant. I'm sure that this woman's offering to Jesus looked extravagant to others, but to her, it was just reasonable. Yeah. When we know that our giving in generosity is actually tied to somebody else's eternity, it is not unreasonable at all generosity towards the things of God is very reasonable. After all, look how generous Jesus was with his life towards us. If all of my spending is just about me, then I have to ask myself, what do I really worship? When I make choices in my life that are about purposefully seeking to promote the purposes of God in my life and my family, that's reasonable when I elevate other things in life at the expense of a commitment to Christ, at the expense of a commitment to his church, that is unreasonable. Not only that, but it's not leading my life or my family into a lifestyle of worship that puts Jesus first. Okay, one more verse before we begin to close. Romans 12, one and two says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, which is your spiritual service of worship. Come on, not one place in that verse I just read does it tell you to sing? Some of us should be going, praise God. (laughs) But here's the deal. Singing is an expression of worship. But it is not the only action of worship. Yeah. Yeah, In fact, what you do between Monday and Saturday is worship yeah. every bit as much as your singing moments on a Sunday. Yeah, that's good. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, this is your spiritual service of worship. He's, he's contrasting it. He's, he's writing here now in the New Testament. He's writing about the new covenant. He's saying, the old covenant, you know, here's what we did. We offered up lambs and, 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 and goats and bulls and all this stuff. We, we took another life and we offered that life on an altar up to the Lord as an act of worship. But he said, now that we're in the new covenant, we're not offering some, some other life. We're offering our life it's not something else that's getting sacrificed we're choosing to be the sacrifice in the amplified version it says this which is your rational logical intelligent act of worship your rational logical intelligent act of worship christ gave himself on the cross he suffered and died for our salvation. He came from heaven to earth to do that. He was whipped, he was beaten. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was nailed to a cross. He hung in shame, bleeding and suffocating. He died a painful death before he was raised again. That's the price that was paid for you and I. This was what it took for us to experience being forgiven and then given a brand new beginning. This is what it took for us to go from being lost into a place of relationship with Jesus and having God in our life from day to day. This is what it took for us to walk in freedom from sin and sinful habits. This is what it took for us to experience the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, healing a broken heart, turning turning hurts into, into a whole life getting rid of our past, giving us a future, this is what it took for us to discover real hope and real purpose in life, then offering my life as a response of worship to him is only rational, logical, and intelligent. In the Living Bible, it words it this way, when you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Of course not course not it's only reasonable in fact the opposite is what is not rational and not reasonable it's not reasonable to receive so much and then respond with a half-hearted commitment inconsistencies and excuses and the beautiful thing that is promised in Romans chapter 12 is that when we live this life of worship When we offer ourselves as that sacrifice, when we give our lives over to the Lord, the promise is this, it says, in that position of attitude of heart, surrender to Jesus, is where you'll discover the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect for your life. In other words, really finding out your purpose and what it is God wants to do in and through your life starts at a place of worship demonstrated by absolute surrender to follow Jesus with all of your heart. You may have heard the expression, if you lose your why, you'll lose your way. Worship is how you keep your why. Worship is how you keep your why, so that you keep your way. Let's stand as we take time to pray. pray for all of us that this would be a heart check that Lord our lives need to be rooted and, and need to be grounded in our worship of you that Lord though there's so much activity even what we might call Christian activity that we can have in our lives Lord that needs to come out of a place of worship that needs to be the foundation Absolutely. Lord, I pray that for everybody who's here, I pray that for everybody who would name the name of Jesus in their life, that, Lord, that their lives would be rooted and grounded in that place of worshiping for who you are and what you do in our lives. That, Lord, we would live out Romans, where it says we're to offer ourselves, not something else, not a token of our appreciation not not another thing out of our lives but to offer our very lives to you to say Jesus we will follow you with all of our hearts Lord I I just pray that each and every one of us would have this would have this foundation Lord that this would just be established in in us that Lord there be nothing as it says in the scriptures that could keep us from the love of Christ that nothing Lord could away from our walk with you, that nothing would distract us, nothing would become our excuse, nothing would bring about inconsistency because because we worship you. Maybe you're here and you've not yet crossed that line, you've not yet come to that place of surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you even spent a while sort of looking at it from the outside window shopping Jesus if you will checking out church and things and maybe reading scripture whatever it is that you're doing but but the opportunity that you have right now before the Lord is to say God uh, I'm going to stop just looking at this it's time to get into this I'm going to stop being on the outside it's time to get on the inside I'm going to stop keeping you at a distance it's time to welcome you into my life Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on that cross for you and rose again from the grave, and if you'll confess him with your mouth as Lord and Savior, that that's your beginning step to relationship with Christ. And I want to pray with you. I want to give you the opportunity to pray along with with the congregation that's here right now. And those who are watching online, you can join us as well. Would you you pray with me? We're praying in agreement those who are praying around you are saying, I need this prayer today. I need this decision in my life today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. You died for me. I ask you to forgive my past. I thank you that you rose again, that I could have a new life. And today I'm inviting you into my life confessing you as the Savior and Lord of my life and I'll follow you with all of my heart in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening with us today If you enjoyed it check out more messages like this at celebrationemonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app If you'd like to partner with us financially you can give on our website at celebrationemonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message